Welcome back to the Mysteria podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, Marcus Da Silva, and I am very excited to welcome back to the show for a second time, Ms. Steph Sia. So for today's episode, Steph opens with a brief synopsis of a keynote presentation that she recently gave at a sex work conference, Moving from Response to Resilience. And her keynote presentation was titled Sex Work as a Labor Issue. Uh, That's kind of the primary focus of today's episode is just kind of talking about the different policy and legal issues that affect sex workers primarily in Canada. We do talk about um, some other places as well, but primarily Canadian based. One of the other issues that we talk about or topics that we discuss is media literacy when it comes to pornography. And there is a link in the episode description that takes you to an article from the American Psychological Association. If you scroll past Steph's bio and social links, you'll be able to see that link right there. And we can think of media literacy as the ability to think critically about how media messages shape culture, society, and our behavior. Pornography literacy then would involve teaching people to think critically about the messages, about behavior that they receive from pornography, and building their capacity to choose whether to internalize what is being imparted. Uh, Just kind of a couple final thoughts before listening to today's episode. Uh, Sex work is complex because it contains many umbrellas for different types of sex work. Uh, Sex work itself just contains many different aspects of it, so important to make the distinction there. Uh, Each umbrella respectively contain its own unique set of moral concerns, legal questions, human rights and constitutional rights, and just sorting through the laws that are derived from both statutes and the common law. And policymakers are generally not very well informed when it comes to sex work. And so you may be saying to yourself, well, that's not, that's not a very good thing. Uh, if they're in charge of enacting laws, then they should have a, a solid working knowledge of, of what it is that they're trying to regulate. Uh, but honestly, this is just the case for most things. Um, there's a lot of things to know about. <laughs> and so uh, it, it's not realistic to expect policymakers to possess that type of working knowledge themselves. That's why it is very important that you have excellent lawyers arguing for your case within the courts and the legal system and can operate efficiently and effectively through that system. Outside of the legal system, there is just a general responsibility for all citizens to educate themselves as best as you can, and doing so will aid to inform opinions, which can help us all make better decisions overall. So there's a a bit of a micro approach and a macro approach. Uh, The macro just being all of us in our everyday lives, just having a better understanding of, of what it is that we're trying to have, a, trying to inform opinions of, and then the micro being operating within the legal system in particular when it comes to sex work, and just being able to navigate those waters and move the laws where they need to be moved and protect those who need protecting. So uh, just as culture and society evolve and change over time, so do the laws. 
Um, how and when is up for debate, of course, um, but that's kind of the interesting part of it as a field of study. So uh, it's always fun talking to Steph. I always really enjoy speaking with her and always have a lot of fun. So we talk about a lot of serious things and we also go on quite a few tangents, which is pretty much uh, standard protocol these days. So I hope you enjoy this episode and thank you very much for listening. So, yes, there was a conference that happened in Vancouver um, that happened in October, and it was called Moving from Response to Resilience. It was a sex worker conference. And, yes, you're probably like, what? Sex worker conferences? <laughs> this is a thing? It's definitely a thing. It's a provincial-wide conference hosted by a Living Community, which is a charity that helps benefit sex workers. So lots of folks from all over British Columbia that came in. Even folks from Ontario came in to also, you know, just be a sponge and learn a whole ton of stuff about sex work, what's happening in our province, um, what's happening legally, what's happening um, in rural and smaller communities, uh, decolonization efforts, um, sex working with like disabilities. So a lot of really different topics over a two-day kind of day schedule. It was pretty packed. I opened up the conference on day one, and that was incredibly nerve-wracking. <laughs> I did a keynote on sex work as a labor issue, and my co-keynote went on first and kind of talked about the history of unions and why sex workers should think about unionizing, and there has been some efforts in recent years um, with certain, like, strip clubs and stuff unionizing, too, but, like, what those benefits would be and why collectively this would be good for sex workers. So kind of piggybacking on that, I had a completely different approach as well because we had, like, free reign on, like, sex work as labor issue as an umbrella and then talking about myself, speaking about why sex workers are great workers, why this is a really viable form of income and also validated form of work. So talking about that, I talked about all the good things. So, you know, money's really great. Flexibility's great. Talking about, um, yeah, I mean, most accessibility, stuff like that, which is all pretty obvious, but also like not ignoring the really bad things that can happen in the work, the amount of risk that we take in our jobs, um, you know, risk of being doxxed, um, family finding out, stuff like that, sexual assault, etc. And also talking about Canadian laws and how they bar us and specific forms of sex work um, from doing our jobs, from operating safely and pushing that work further underground. So speaking about that and also just really not trying to, you know, <laughs> be a downer, but also like trying to be transparent about these issues because these are issues that sex workers every day have to face. Um, we have to think about, you know, even when opening like a bank account, can we open a bank account due to the work that it is we do? There's a lot of banking discrimination. And I know later in this episode, we're probably going to talk about financial discrimination and why big banks and financial institutions don't like sex workers or don't want um, our services to be used for that. 
So talking about that and also um, I don't want to end my keynote on such a downer, especially like opening the whole conference. Um, so I kind of like ended it with like a really uplifting note about like, well, we're actually really great um, at business. We're excellent business people. So we have the ability to drive sales, upsell, sell and monetize everything. And when I, when I mean everything, I literally mean everything. Um, marketing, really talking about like working around censorship methods that a lot of platforms will use to deplatform us, suspend us, and also talking about like you just basically trying to get rid of us, which they won't. Um, and also just talking about like a lot of the work that we do in the back end as well um, and collaborative efforts that we use as well as a community. So that is my keynote in a very large nutshell. Um, <laughs> I was trying to do spark notes, but I'm like, how detailed do we want to go and how much time do we have? But it was, it was really great. And it was a really great way to open up the conference, received a lot of great feedback from folks and a lot of fans I did not know were in the audience were there too so that was kind of cool and I'm just really glad to have gotten that off my chest so I could like just enjoy the rest of the conference and just like as I mentioned be a sponge and sit in all the lectures and seminars and overall a very fruitful two days of networking learning a lot about the industry that I didn't know about and furthering it and educating myself on topics that were not familiarized to me so Overall, great. Can't wait for the next one. I don't know when it's going to be. Don't ask me when that's going to be because there's a lot of work putting that thing on. So, yeah. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. I have questions. Yes, <laughs> you too. <laughs> you're like nodding and you're like, I have more questions. Quick one that you mentioned off the kind of right at the top. Uh, rural communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, smaller communities. So not just here in Vancouver. Like here we, ha we have tons of great support networks. So we have... Organizations like PACE, we have SWAN, we have like a WISH, Drop-In Center. These are all um, organizations um, that help benefit sex workers in very various different forms, whether it's like donations, we need um, like uh, equipment or coats or like lingerie or like old pleasers that, you know, you don't want anymore. We can use that for those who are working, you know, a lot of survival-based street-based uh, street sex workers can utilize that because they don't have the funds to buy that kind of stuff. Also, other organizations that help um, provide support, like I also sit on the board at SWAN. They provide support for immigrant and migrant workers. So they provide like Chinese lessons. A lot of them are Chinese, that are identified as Chinese and speak the language. Um, people that are looking for peer support and like outreach services too. So they do like condom packing services. So to make sure that there's they're conducting like safe work and stuff like that too. So, but when you're talking about smaller communities and rural communities, a lot of times there are no organizations that are in these small communities. So there were a couple of seminars that were talking about like how can we reach those folks and what can we do? Do we have a do we have a branch that can do outreach out there? Most of the times that's not the case. So there's a lot of um, independent organizing amongst sex works sex workers themselves, but also can be hard to build that up too because of the stigma that comes with it. A lot of people, like a lot of the work is based on anonymity as well because, you know, we can, like our families might be able to get involved, which we don't want most of the time because we're trying to do this work anonymously. Um, 
potential employers, people have families, your children might get taken away. So it's, there's a lot of factors that kind of come into place when you're trying to organize and set up community. But then how do you do that without identifying who these workers are? So lots of challenges in those areas. Um, and lots of, unfortunately, like small-minded folks that uh, believe in, in the abolition model and just getting rid of sex work completely. So how, did, how do you tackle that? How do you provide support in those, na in those communities? So those are a couple topics that we had discussed. I did not get to sit on that one, though, so I can't provide the whole scope. <laughs> I got a comment on that. Sure. Um, I have more questions, but comment first, which is, like about the morality of it, mm -hmm. which is I kind of look at it in a very simple way, which is the cat's out of the bag. So there's no going back. You can't really just get rid of it now. Uh, the time to get rid of it, not saying that's the right thing to do or the wrong thing, just saying if that was an option, long since passed. Yeah. You know, just the way the world is now, it's just not going to happen anymore because yeah. uh, it's just too widespread. So now it's the responsibility of, okay, what do we do with this? Because it's here, so mm -hmm. how do we make the best of the situation? The other thing that I'd like you to go into a little bit, we did talk about it on the first podcast that we did, but uh, sex work, the term, mm -hmm. very broad. Yeah. Very broad spectrum. Totally. I'm curious about that as far as, I find that to be a little bit problematic mm, because... Legally, if you're trying to do something, you have to be pretty specific in what it is that you're trying to criminalize or protect or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. You're trying to regulate something, but you need to understand what it is that you're regulating. Mm -hmm. The problem that I find, and I've just, just kind of been preparing for this podcast, I've been really thinking about that, just how it's too broad. Uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, from my perspective, it's too broad. I find it to be a bit problematic. But I'm kind of curious as to um, what's your thought on that, just as far as, um, and I almost look at it, too, as a bit of a, a bit of a branding issue, too, I think, where okay. I think it might, because even just saying sex work, I think that triggers an emotional response kind of immediately within someone, and then depending mm -hmm. on that person. Who yeah. knows what reaction you're going to get from it. Totally. But I don't know. I'm just kind of curious. Like, what do you think about the term itself? Do you think it 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 does a, a good job at kind of encompassing what it needs to? Should it be different? Should we look at things more in isolation? You know, in the, as far as like the specifics of what sex work encompasses? Just, I don't know. What do you think about that? Okay. So a couple notes here for you as well. So as you mentioned, like the cat's out of the bag. It's here to stay. The cat has always been out of the bag. Um, <laughs> it is the oldest profession in history, so it's not like it's going anywhere. This has been here since the beginning of time. And evolution-wise, it has changed a lot, and which is why I actually love and prefer the term sex work because it is a large umbrella. Before, back in the day, it was literally, yeah, as you mentioned, you're paying a certain fee or an exchange of for a sexual-related service. Um, now, that is different because there's so many other things that are underneath the umbrella, whether it's camming, it is adult work, like in pornography, whether you are um, doing some indoor work as a masseuse, as a full-service sex worker, whether you're in a stripping <laughs> as well. Mm -hmm. So there are so many, what, 
professional cuddling is another one as well. There's a lot of talking services, phone services as well, phone sex, like texting, Sex Panther, stuff like that. So I feel it is an appropriate umbrella for myself because originally, and if you're looking at Canadian law, what the rules that govern that are considered as prostitution laws. Right. And that to me is a very pigeonhole and also yeah, very specific as well. But I think sex work has evolved a lot since mm-hmm. then. So myself, like I don't mind using the work because especially the word work is in it. So you understand that is work um, and that you are an adult consenting to this type of work. Other terms that other folks have used have used like uh, – sensual services which i think is also for myself correct um some people use sexual services um which can be correct depending on the area of sex work that you're in because as i mentioned for example professional cuddling or companionship um if i'm getting paid to go on a paid date with someone that portion of the date maybe not is inherently sexual at all Maybe I ha- I'm being paid to be a companion to go to this dinner party or this whatever fundraising event with some older dude. And that to me is not sexual. So there's a lot of things that can be, but I know some people would also argue like, well, is that considered a sex work mm-hmm. as well? But I mean, I'm curious too, and I'm going to throw a question back to you. Mm-hmm. What kind of terms would you use? <laughs> yeah, I got, I, I, I'm, I have no solutions. I'm just here with problems. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that, that's the thing. I mean, yeah. that, that is the point, which is, you know, if you, if you don't call it sex work, what do you call it? Mm-hmm. Do you, cause then, okay, just as you said, okay, we have prostitution laws. Well, camming is not prostitution and stripping is not prostitution. We can yeah. go down the list of those laws are covering work sectors that are not at all related to what it says it's supposed to be regulating. Mm-hmm. That's problematic, mm-hmm. right? Then I think that's where it gets into the, now we have banking. So, you know, we can get into that uh, in a minute. But But also prostitution itself. um, Like, I personally don't have a problem using that word, but a lot of people I do know that are full-service sex workers don't like to be referred to as a prostitute or don't like to be used or referred to as, like, the word hooker and stuff. So it really depends on who you're talking to and what kind of language you are using because – some of those can still have degrading negative connotations. Um, whereas versus to me, like someone who's in the industry and using and refers to myself as a sex worker, that to me actually bears like less weight and right. less stigma than, oh yeah, I'm a hoe. I mean, I always call myself a hoe, but still. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, just, I, I don't call myself a prostitute. Um right. I don't do that type of work anymore, but like I, even when I was t- like selling those services, I was never using that term for myself because that to me still bared a lot of negativity with mm-hmm. that. So language is confusing. <laughs> language is very important too. Yeah. I mean, that's a thing you have to be, that's why it's, it's interesting as far as, okay, talking about the evolution of it. So where my thought goes to is, I don't think there's ever been a time where sex workers can be millionaires now. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially with like some big mainstream porn stars who make the transition to, you know, individual content creation platforms, Mm -hmm. literally multimillionaires. That's, 
pretty wild. Is that I mean, okay? that is pretty wild where it's like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, but then it makes me wonder too, that generally where the money is, that's where the laws will go to. Um, mm. cause there's money there now. So now yeah. it has a little bit of a different type of importance, mm-hmm. but I haven't really seen much of that, which I've, I've been a little bit surprised at. I, I figured that, you know, tax laws or, you know, things like that, right? <laughs> you know, you would think that it would start to, um, and I think by, by doing, depending on the type of regulation, but I figure if you do regulate it, uh, in some way, not criminalize it. That's different laws that don't really think that's the right thing to be yeah. doing, but no, regulating <laughs> is important. Um, that's tax mm. money that can go into the government. Like why, why not? Like if, if the government's idea is, I mean, they're never going to say no to money, <laughs> right? I mean, who <laughs> wouldn't? So I, I find that to be interesting where I haven't really seen, haven't really seen much, uh, for that. Yeah. Um, I wonder, so like, are you more curious in the legalization model versus the decriminalization model? Because in Canada, we have the Nordic model, which sucks. Um, But like places like uh, Nevada, where sex work is legalized. So again, there are certain regulations that can still regulate certain aspects of how you conduct your business uh, versus like decriminalization, which would, we would have more agency as and our work would hopefully one day be recognized and we wouldn't have to be shady and work around all these corners and hopefully make the work safer for sex workers so legalization can work um for certain folks especially like we're when we're talking about americans where the work is criminalized um legalization can work but from what I gather from a lot of the community, and this is just from my peers and, and most of the industry, we would go for decrim. Uh, so sure. models like in New Zealand, um, Belgium, places like that. And that's what we would hope to get. Um, talking about, you're talking about like you're not seeing a lot of like laws when it comes to like taxes and stuff like that. Well, I figured like, y- y- you follow the money. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. just like a general, I mean, we're a capitalist society as well. Yeah. So you, you would think that there would be a bit more of a push to regulate, tax it. And I think mm-hmm. by doing so, that also helps legitimize it because now mm-hmm. it's legitimized work that's being taxed just like any other legal profession. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Have How really... much do you tax on that? Because Well, and that, yeah, <laughs> then that gets into, you know, tax policy thing. itself. But you would yeah. think that just by the act of of pursuing that um you know but again i don't know it's it's it gets complicated uh i don't think it gets all that complicated but from where i sit because it's like Mm -hmm. all right you know there was also a big push not that long ago for i mean and usually it's on an election cycle yeah which is you know political agenda (laughs) decriminalize marijuana you know if it's in the states you know that then it becomes do we decriminalize drugs in general or you know a certain amount of any type of drug what do we do with that mm-hmm. i'm not trying to compare sex work to drug decriminalization but i think just the it's this kind of underlying um left-ish political Agenda. side mm-hmm. um i just kind of I, I but i but even by that i i don't think sex work should be viewed as as like a lefty lefties want it and righties don't want it. Like, I don't think it should be viewed that way because, um, it's just bigger than that. 
Yeah. It's just bigger than that. And it's older than that. Yeah. And I think to just kind of view it as a bipartisan issue is not... Progressive. Yeah, it's just not... <laughs> it's just, I just don't think it's the most effective way. You know, yeah. t- take politics out of the equation. It's, I just don't think it's effective. Mm-hmm. It's just not good. Well, for me, I look at more from a human rights perspective. Right. Because, like, at the that's, end of the day... That's got nothing to do with politics. With anything. Right? Yeah. With well, any, right, yeah. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> you want to go there? Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it can be a very political issue. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, for me, it boils down to human rights issue because it is... How, why are you so interested in how people are running their lives and doing what they're choosing to do for work, uh, hopefully safely and, and obviously consenting? Yes. So, like, why should that matter to anyone? I, like, for myself, I, I, I always ask myself that. Like, what, there's so much morality that is, like, tied in with sex work and how that can, like, why would anyone choose this type of work kind of, like, thought process? Um, usually pushing from like evel- evangelical groups and like religious type groups mm-hmm. and like far right kind of stuff, but I for me it's just like well we just want to do our work like we just yeah. want to be able like this is a job like literally is a persona that I ter- like the it's like a button I turn on and off when I'm working when I'm not working and how is that any different when I'm say working in an office which I used to do. But for less time, more money. <laughs> like, why? Mm-hmm. Why should this be anybody else's business? And like, we should hopefully be able to understand that this is just people's livelihoods, and people just need work that is flexible for them, accessible for them, and would hopefully make more money, especially in this economy, as well. So, that's my two cents. Yeah. On that. <laughs> no, I, I'm with you on that. I I agree. You know, it's same same thing with. Um, uh, gay marriage, right? That was one mm. that, that would come up often when I was in university because mm-hmm. um, it still wasn't actually legal at the time. And so, I don't know. It's just kind of like, yeah. well, first of all, it's like, you know, just as you said, what, if you're doing something in privacy of your own home. Now, again, even saying that privacy of your, home, of your own home, that is a somewhat specific subset of sex work that we're referring to yeah. with that. Yes. What's what's the big deal? I mean, I don't know. I just again, right? But I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of a laid back guy. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's interesting yeah. that you mentioned that because you're talking about like gay marriage is one thing, but then the next big thing that that people are up in arms about like trans rights too. That's mm-hmm. a huge thing right now. But do you notice as a, a specific theme, it's always marginalized group of people that people have problems with, uh, even though it doesn't have anything to do with them, like. A person's gay relationship, how does that affect me? <laughs> um, same with someone who's trans and like trying to have like trans inclusivity with bathrooms, for instance. Can't they have the right to use the bathroom in peace without being questioned, attacked, or assaulted? Um, so to me, it's just uh, marginalized groups of people, we get a lot of the brunt of this and we feel this a lot too. So it's really troubling to see topics like this still being a problem to this day. Um, and hopefully, I mean, I just feel like things are just so slow to change. The legal system works Extra very, slow. very, very slowly. Yes. It's quite shocking. Yeah. Part of it I get why. The other part of it that I have absolutely no patience makes me want to lose my mind. Because <laughs> you could actually do things... No matter what, the law is always going to be behind 
everything. Technology, mm -hmm. socio-cultural uh, issues. It's always going to be behind, as it should be. I always think there should be a delay because you don't want to be too quick to react to things that come up because mm -hmm. uh, it's a lot harder to reverse laws than it is to implement them in the first right. place. That's a whole other thing that goes on there. Yeah. But, yeah, the pace of it is quite slow, um, a little bit too slow, I find, with a lot of things. Yeah. When it comes to sex work in general, have you found that in the last, because just kind of where I come from is the explosion of particularly the internet aspects of it. Yeah. So just that subset, which is kind of broad in and of <laughs> itself, but how much it's exploded, as we already mentioned, the fact that a lot of content creators are now becoming millionaires, like legit millionaires off of this, which yeah. is mind blowing that there's just that much money out there. Mm -hmm. Um, crazy. <laughs> People will pay. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and I think rightfully so. I mean, if you're providing a service, you should be fairly compensated for yes. that service. I mean, I'm all for that. I think that's great. <laughs> um, but yeah, just the fact that how quickly it's grown in a relatively short period of time that I think COVID had a lot to do with just because now people are inside on the internet. Mm -hmm. um, All the time. So I think that had it, because I think we did see that. And then OnlyFans was saying they're going to not oh have, what it, I'm, which I'm pretty sure that was a, a, freaking a marketing ploy. Stuff. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, we're going to take... Uh, take all the nudity off. It's like, yeah, That's okay. Crazy. Yeah, we'll get right on that. Um, <laughs> what's the rationale behind, and j just focusing on the, the internet aspect of it, what's the rationale, or at least what's your understanding of why that is still, and we can maybe get into the banking issue, but why is that so far behind? Like, why is that not being a little bit more recognized as I mean, how is that any different than some YouTuber who plays video games? Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. <laughs> I failed to see a, a distinction without much of a difference, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, now I, I think the big umbrella for that conversation would be like creator, um, like content creation, right? So YouTubers, streamers, like Twitch people, uh, content creators like myself who have OnlyFans, Fansly, whatever all these platforms are. I think they're, for me, I kind of look that look at that very similarly and have that underneath the big umbrella. And at the end of the day, we are just independent contractors because that's exactly what we do. Um, and we're just monetizing <laughs> off of folks. But for me, myself, like I don't see much of a big difference except there's like a inherent except one's sexual way nature. more fun yeah <laughs> lots of lots of more skin <laughs> usually it's way better it's way better <laughs> yeah and I, I just think i think it's great because i just feel that content creators specifically adult content creators we have so much more agency now and i think we were talking a bit earlier too about like you know major porn studios and like content creators and like that has been definitely rising over the past decade for sure like it, you could even see that in major award ceremonies in the adult world like the avians like um expos like they have all of their own awards and they have a whole wing for creators now too um so i really think it's a great thing that they're getting their own recognition for that category 
because again, it just gives us a lot more agency without having to deal with other third parties. People can get in touch with you directly. Your fans can get in touch with you directly too. So I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a great thing. I don't even know if that answered your question. What was your question? I'm not really sure. <laughs> <laughs> We're just talking. <laughs> like, I'm, just, I'm just enjoying myself. I'm just, I'm just here to have a good time. As with I. Learn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of related to that, the last time you were here, we talked about, uh, it, was, it was AVN that you went to. Yeah, the AVNs, yeah. I'm glad I, I went because yes. that category is now gone. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's I, I'm sure it'll probably come, up you know, come back or maybe a different, you know, either ex-biz or are they, yeah. do they have one of those? They don't have a podcast category, but at the same time, like again with ABNs, like I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad I went last year because now for this upcoming year, they're actually doing it all outdoors. I'm like outdoors in Vegas in January. It's not Oh, that's warm. not nice weather. Yeah. I know. I'm like, <laughs> who thought about this? I'm like, why isn't the hotel available? Anyways, that's the whole thing, but sorry, continue. Um, <laughs> Yeah, with that, what was I going to say? So I was actually watching a clip from your, It was I don't know if it was your last episode, but it was one of your most recent Instagram updates. That's okay. how I saw it. Yeah. And they were talking about, uh, your, your guest was talking about all the categories. Oh, yeah, Sterling guests, yes. Um, yes. I was shocked at how big that number was. It's huge. It's huge, and it is an award ceremony, and you're sitting there for a long time, and they don't even go off through all of them. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they do, but, like, they won't have a whole thing, uh, as you would see in, say, like, the Oscars. They would, near the end, just kind of, like, rounding it up. Like, okay, best adult podcast. We had the last category. <laughs> best adult podcast, and they just say it. They don't do, like, a whole, like, okay, we're going to go over every single person in that 35-person category <laughs> and, like, name them all out. No, they only um, announce the things for, like, best adult actress, um, best, like, production company or stuff like that. I can't remember at the top of my head. Best BBW, those major things. So it's a lot of focus on major mainstream. And then they will have um, a section for trans folks. Um, then they have a section for creators. And then everything else. That is just, like, fast, fast, fast. Mm -hmm. So... You're there for like three hours. <laughs> yeah. It's a long time. So yeah. since we're here, let's talk about porn. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about porn. <laughs> uh, we were talking about this off the air, but I thought it'd be good to bring it on the air, um, which is I, f I kind of figured that j just my own, I don't know, whatever, thought process on it. I figured that the, the rise of independent content creators mm -hmm. would basically wipe out major porn studios or, or at least significantly lower the, the shrink the market. Mm -hmm. That hasn't really seemed to be the case. It no. seems like it's all just kind of going up or, or I don't know, maybe don't know. it's a little more stabilized. I'm not really sure, but it does seem like as far as um, the content creator side, that is going that is rising dramatically, mm -hmm. um, and it used to be a lot more in the in the public um, public square, at least, kind of talking about that. I haven't really mm -hmm. heard a lot of, but I I don't listen to the news or read the news at all, so I, I wouldn't really know. But you know, you would just kind of you'd have an, you'd have an ear out, and I'd hear things. You yeah, know, you would kind of hear sure. it at least be mentioned. So it, it's not really something that gets mentioned very often, but it does seem to be you know, still 
Oh yeah, it's numbers still are flourishing. big for that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I and mean, like, I think those are two very different things. So content creation and also porn, porn from like adult, big, fancy, shiny production companies. But I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, it's a lot of porn as an umbrella. We're talking about a lot of umbrellas today, mm-hmm. but um, they're very different because with creator sites or subscription-based fan sites, like it's a different kind of feeling because you're getting in touch with <laughs> you think you're getting in touch yeah <laughs> <laughs> you think you're getting in touch with uh your favorite creator your favorite porn star or whoever and it's almost like intimate in that kind of way like hey i'm like i get to chat and i get to access her dms with my favorite creator and you know do that have that kind of relationship where as if you're browsing through Pornhub and you're seeing this like shiny beautiful fantasy come to life like before it was like kind of like unattainable that you'd even be able to get to talk to that person. But that being said, I say they're very different because there are always going to be fans for everything. So there's always going to be fans that want that huge like Gonzo style shoot where it's you're all done like made up hair and that there's a whole storyline that comes with that and it's like very specific. Um, whereas with like content creation and depends on what you put on your feed, but like sometimes it's more like behind the scenes, like I'll share a selfie, like come join me at the pool today kind of thing. And it's very casual or like, hey, like no makeup live day today. Like let's come chat and go through some Q&A and stuff like that. So it's very different. Um, but I do believe in folks and fans wanting to pay for their porn. <laughs> so always trying to push for that, I think, is always a good thing. But I think both can live independently because they are different needs for different <laughs> different strokes for different, different folks. Different strokes for different folks. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah, so I don't think it's a bad thing. Yeah. I do agree with the, you should pay for, again, if you're providing a a service or a product, you should be fairly compensated for it. I mean, Mm -hmm. I just kind of, with anything, I just think that's, right. you know, I'm okay with that. I can live with that. We have mentioned that while there are many, or many, a handful, whatever, there are some (laughs) individuals, content creators who make a ton of money off of this. Yeah. The reality though, that's, you know, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, I kind of look at it as no different like professional sports. You have mm-hmm. all those guys out there making a lot of money, mm-hmm. but there's also a lot more other athletes playing the same sport who will never make it to that level, yeah. just like anything, right? Totally. There's, a, there's a distribution, yes. you know, economically speaking, that occurs with anything. Yeah. You know, pick any profession, pick any hobby, whatever. There's going to be some who become rich and famous and some yeah. who can do it and be perhaps very talented and, you know, never really get that breakthrough moment. Mm -hmm. What I'm curious as far as the um, content creation side, kind of, I guess I'm kind of looking for like a temperature gauge on that as far as you can speak to it. Mm -hmm. Does it seem to be where more people are making more money? Is it a very oversaturated market? I mean, what Mm -hmm. do we kind of... You know, for for the individual who's in university and they got a lot of student debt, is that something that, okay, I'm going to start an OnlyFans account and maybe that can help me out? Oh, yeah. um, 
just kind of give us, yeah, temperature gauge and all that. The potential is there to make a lot of money. Mm. There is. Okay. So like there is a lot of us that make average money, but we're also treating as an average thing. Um, And what I mean by that, like maybe we're doing it as a side hustle because we have a full-time job or maybe like time is a big thing because you actually have to put a lot of time into your business. (laughs) Just like anything. Just like yeah, anything, just like anything, right? So the potential is there. I know a lot of people who started in university or started right when they were 19 and like are making tens of thousands of dollars a month. And that's all they do, which is totally admirable and awesome. And then there's a lot of people like that, that are super average like me that are making like extra thousands of dollars a month. And that's fine. But the potential is there, but, like, it just depends on what you put into it. It literally is a business. Like, how much you put into it is how much you'll hopefully get out of it. Um, But, yeah, like, I don't don't want to glamorize it. This is, like, not trying to do that (laughs) because people think, I'm just going to get an OnlyFans tomorrow and just, like, you know, post a couple naked photos and then be done with it. But Mm -hmm. there's a lot more things that go on behind the scenes that you don't see. Like, you don't see me doing all the back end and, like, you know, customer service like maintenance responding to all the dms putting up reels and like photo sets and then doing this in all of my platforms all the editing that work that has to go behind the scenes making the custom videos like responding and then being on live and cam and try to get more people like it's a lot of work that goes into it and i think a lot of people tend to ignore that or forget that, oh, yeah, this is a business, and you got to treat it as such. So, yeah. But as you were saying, like, yes, there's a, there's a lot of us that are so just, like, normal. Because, like, on OnlyFans, they have <laughs> the specific thing, like, you're in the top blank percentage yeah. of all <laughs> freaking creators. And, you know, I'm in the top 20%, but I'm only making, like, a few hundred dollars, like, every month like that's not a lot and your top like one percent or whatever those are like yeah definitely making thousands per month or whatever but it's all even that's a marketing thing <laughs> too on the of creator course. side oh, of course right? yeah of course so but yeah as mentioned like potential is there but it just depends how much effort you want to put into it let's get into the banking thing mm-hmm. but right before that um Okay, I'll float this one. I'll float kind of a stupid question at you. Okay. <laughs> um, and I'll explain why it's stupid after I ask it, which is how is it that some become uber famous, off of, or famous, successful, maybe better word, and others don't, when to me, just looking at it from a customer perspective, <laughs> you can't really gauge like why certain people become super successful at what they do, um, specifically with uh, content creation. Mm -hmm. Is there, you know, is it really just a matter of, you know, it's marketing, it's exposure, it's right place, right time, it's, you know, just kind of stuff like that? And the reason I say that it's a stupid question is because it's like kind of no different than why are some football players more famous than other football players? And it's like, well, I don't know. They're good at what they do and, I don't know, marketable and big personality and whatever. You know, people just like them, you know. So I I do get it's a bit of a a goofy question to ask. But I don't know. Maybe you have some insight on that. I don't think it's stupid at all. I I really don't think it is. And it really goes back to that whole potential topic that we were 
speaking about too. So, you know, a lot of people get a lot of exposure once they move over to mainstream porn. And that is a whole thing because you are now getting exposure from all the people that say support like Vixen or Brazzers or Let's Do It or any of those major production companies and then you become the face of that company and you're the hot new talent and uh, best new face or whatever the category is those um are huge drivers for marketing um you have a very large and high percentage of getting more fans that way obviously for those who don't want to move into mainstream and that's totally fine um yeah there's a lot of ways you can gain that traction so a lot of people for marketing wise, and I will say to answer your question, I think a lot of it is marketing. Mm. Um, so a lot of folks really driving it hard on Reddit. A lot of folks. Reddit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. There's so many like porn threads and like self promotion threads on Reddit. It's oh, a okay. huge driver for marketing. Learning something new every day. I was going to say, I'm like, you sound shocked. I'm like, there's a lot of free porn on Reddit. Um, not again, pay for your porn, but also if you find a creator that you like, then maybe there's going to be some paywall thing that you'll have to you know, pay for her fan site or whatever. But Reddit is a big one. Uh, people use TikTok as much as they can because you have to really navigate through those hoops and boundaries with their terms and services. Um, Twitter is another big one where people really drive a, a lot of their stuff on there. Myself as a cam model, you can get a lot of new fans as a cam model as well. So there's just like a lot of places that you can market yourself. And, and of course, if these said platforms that are major, like Instagram, like like YouTube, like uh, TikTok, and now FicFap, that's a new one. That's like the TikTok report, but that's uh, a huge thing as well. Funny name, by the way. Yeah, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's also to do with the algorithm as well. If they like your content, they're going to you know, boost you. Um, if they don't like it, then you'll be delisted, uh, shadow banned, and censored. So... It's, it's a bit of playing along with that, but all that stuff, as I mentioned before, I hate to just say this again, but it's really about how much time you're putting into stuff as well. You can't really do this half-assed. You can, but you, if you want that level of success, then you have to put more time in it. Maybe hire, start hiring, hiring a team, a virtual assistant, uh, marketing person as well will also help you, but that just depends on where you're at with your business. I wouldn't recommend that if you're like, oh, I'm going to start an OnlyFans tomorrow, I'm going to hire someone to do this. Because you have to also, like as I mentioned, maintain those relationships, actually be presentable to your fans because that's what they're coming back for is your personality, not just because you're another random hot chick out of like a million. So they come back for you. <laughs> they come back for you. It really is what it boils down to. So you, uh, listening to you say that reminded me what a segue this is what a connection this is going to be oh yeah <laughs> it's called the mo in brazilian jiu-jitsu it's called the momentum principle yeah okay okay i i don't know what that principle is from what i but said but you already know it. i already know it you already yeah. know it which is yeah once you start making money it's a little bit easier to keep making money because then yeah. you can get a team and then you can increase the production value. And yes. Then maybe you can market further and maybe just the style of the content just gets a little bit better and high quality and then yeah it's yeah. momentum principle. Momentum Works both principle. ways, though. It, oh, yeah. yeah. The more you lose, you're going to keep losing. But yeah. if you win, you're going to keep winning. Yeah. Yeah, got to keep it up. <laughs> I, got, I had to find a way to bring MMA into this stuff, <laughs> into the podcast. Like but that is awesome. That's good. Take, take that off the, uh, off the checklist for today <laughs> so that works out. But, yeah, I mean, again, I think it really just comes back to 
I guess the thesis of this podcast, which is um, sex work is just work like mm. any other type of work. It totally um, is. I do think generally, if you're uh, thinking about it though, from a bit of a morality perspective, I do understand how people can find it problematic mm. when it comes to not quite the internet stuff, mm. but the rest of it. I do get it. I do kind of understand where I'm like, all right, you know, I do get where you're coming from with that. You know, I would never do that. So how could, right. and it's like, okay, yeah, you know, all right, I'm with you, but. But not. <laughs> but not, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, um, I don't know, it, it's it's tricky because I would say that it kind of why I was bringing up the, the internet sector of it yeah. specifically is because I think it's maybe a little bit more, for lack of a better word, palatable. And so you would think that perhaps that would kind of drive the whole movement forward a little bit quicker. Yes and no, but that's also right. really problematic as well. So sure. Okay. Thank you for case, pointing that out. Yeah. Yes. Super problematic. Let's do it. Yeah. So we call that the hierarchy, and I think I might have yes. talked to you about this before. So um, the hierarchy is, you know, considering one form of sex work to be favorable, more palatable, uh, easier to digest versus others. So in this context, we're using internet-based creators, say at the top, because I don't actually have to engage with anyone. I'm just safe behind my screen. I don't have to really do anything. And then some people don't even do any explicit acts on whatever camming or creation or whatever they want to do. And then that can go down to like, say, uh, like stripping because, you know, I'm a, I'm a stripper in BC and I don't do any contact dance because it's not a thing in Vancouver, unless you work at the number five. But <laughs> but then it goes down to that. Then you go into, say, like dominatrix work or like uh, in-person work as well. So like escorting. And then at the bottom of that pyramid would be like uh, street-based sex work. So I say that because it is problematic because at the end of the day, and I love to say this, we're all hoes. Uh, we all are doing similar things for money, for whatever things that we're negotiating for or whatever. So I actually don't see a difference morality-wise between if I'm doing something online or my past work as a sugar baby where I've slept with people for money and like that, I don't personally see any problem with any of that. When I was younger, yes, I did have that morality thing and it was my own like horophobia against myself and other sex workers and other forms of sex work but what that does it just drives the the divide between sex work where there really again shouldn't be because at the end of the day we're just all trying to get our bag so I don't like to drive that kind of narrative because it is dangerous and it doesn't do any good for our industry at all um and even in converse like these kind of conversations I always have to try to make it a point to be like well let, let me try to educate you on something because that's actually like hard uh and also privileged too like a lot of indoor work like you have to have uh, a laptop you have to have like, a speaker you have to have a mic and blah 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 um Whereas, you know, with street-based sex workers, they might not have the funds to afford something like that. That's why they have to engage in this kind of work because they might not be able to get a standard, quote-unquote, like, typical job or whatnot. So, sorry if I'm rambling, but no, I think no, it's no. an important well piece well to said. say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I agree insofar in, in as it's just, I don't know, I, what you do isn't who you are. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to judge someone, judge them on their character yeah. as, as to who they are. It's no different. I mean, I, I do think it's interesting, though, that um, there is a, a emotional response because you'll find that with, like, white-collar crime, yeah, the sentences that they receive is significantly Less. lower than, yeah. you know, some other type of violent crime. When those, especially, like, you know, like the Bernie Madoffs, like... The people yeah. who have like devastated families, families, yeah, devastated them people's lives. in pretty abhorrent ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they get off a little bit easier, you they know. Do. So it is interesting when you kind of see that. Yeah, you know what? It really does. It really does come down to the emotional response because, I mean that 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 starts off like in a white collar um, example. You know that comes from. The prosecutors, you know, what they decide to choose from to, to pursue, and then yeah. the juries themselves, and then the sentence. Like, you can kind of track that response all the way through. It's also, you know, very important that there is a human element in the legal system. Mm-hmm. But it seems like when it comes to sex work, that tends to be used against you, oh not necessarily for you. Well, I have right? thoughts on that too. <laughs> I have thoughts on that too because there's so much bias in the legal system as well, and our legal system is completely flawed as well. So, for example, a recent thing, um, we actually we like we used to be part. I used to be part of the Canadian Alliance. I was part of a group that was part of the Canadian Alliance for Sex Work Law Reform. We had challenged the charter. Was it last year? Year and a half ago? Charter challenged one of the. Charter of Rights and Freedoms, we were challenging that, that it goes against human rights, much like our conversation today. Mm. And the decision that came from the judge uh, in October, October, yes, was saying uh, he dismissed, first of all, all of the evidence that we have brought to the table. Um, he also dismissed all of the firsthand accounts uh, from sex workers that this is a legitimized form of work. Even all of the research that we've done, we've had professors from SFU, which is the best school in criminology, I will say. I went to there. And also saying, um, yeah, they just dismissed it completely and saying that we don't know what we're talking about, even though we've done years worth of studies and also you know, how this is not a right thing. And that judge was definitely biased because he also used to be, <laughs> well, now this is going to get spicy. <laughs> I don't want to say anything As bad. long as you don't say names, we're I'm not okay. Saying any, I'm not saying any <laughs> names, but like, you know, former um, police officers. So obviously he was siding with the police um, with that. But also just like dismissing all of our voices, basically erasing us and thinking that we actually don't know what we're talking about. Like we have a lot of people and lawyers on our team as well um, to present this to you as like these are facts. Um, But them refusing to not even look at that, like already going into the case with bias is is and was incredibly infuriating. Um, Yeah, I thought that was it it just minimized us and. But also, like, again, not taking us seriously either. So I find that to be um, an incredibly disappointing decision, but also demonstrates, and this is just one piece, one case that could have been huge, um, demonstrating their bias and also, like, how slow, (laughs) again, Mm -hmm. our legal system can be. Um, But then how do you remove that bias, especially at the judging level? Yeah. 
Well, I can, tell, I, can, I can offer some insight. One thing I would say, just as a, a touch of a pushback, mm-hmm. I, don't, I, dis, I disagree that I don't like the rhetoric that, um, oh, the, the system is completely flawed. I think the system's actually pretty decent. Mm. What we can agree on is that the people who comprise that system and the people who uh, operate within the system Right. Yeah. I, I can meet you on that uh, where I, yeah, I, yeah. I can see because when you understand how it it operates, it really does come down to who is in the position and when they're in that position. You can have that case come forward with a completely different judge and get a completely different result. Yeah. That, that's the thing. Right. Yes. Um, the other thing, as far as just understanding the system as an ecosystem, um, if you want to look at it from that perspective, Think about the types of people who pursue a legal career. Now, I, I want to be on the defense side, so I'm a little <laughs> bit of an, of an exemption because, yes, people who want to go to the defense side of things, very much more open-minded, creative. Mm-hmm. You're getting a little bit of fight-the-system kind of attitude. Yes. But generally speaking, um, and if you walk into any law school in Canada, the U.S., yeah. and, and England, at least that's kind of my experience of knowledge, yeah. you're going to find a lot of sticklers. Yeah. Uh, you're going to find about 98% sticklers. Then you're going to find some crazy guy like me in the background with two of my buddies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we're that, we're that minority. So, yeah. you know, that, that is also what you are dealing with. You, you mm-hmm. are dealing with... Um, and, you know, I don't know, I, I do kind of understand why that is the case. I, I do think it's better for a system to operate too slowly than too quickly, mm-hmm. as yeah. we already talked about. Totally. I think if you're going to pick one, pick the one that's too slow. You, It's, it's going to be bad no matter what. There's going to be things that fall through, but I think it's less bad things will happen. Um, mm-hmm. When you're a little too quick yeah. to, to make decisions like that, that's where you get into trouble. Totally. But yeah, I do understand that. And it is frustrating, um, as we can tell, you know, yeah. when, when you bring this case forward and, you know, trying to get some, some recognition for what it is that we're doing, and then yeah. you just kind of get punted right out. Yeah, yeah. You know, that is tough. It's tough. Um, of course it is. <laughs> but yeah, I do get why. You know, but it's one of those things that, yeah, you know, it, it really does just come down to persistence. And I do think, generally speaking, um, you know, another maybe another generation, you know, because like mm-hmm. our generation, you know, you give us another 10, 15 years. And now the people who are in those positions are kind of gone. Hopefully. And now people <laughs> like us are sort of moving into, yeah. you know, it's, it's just the natural life cycle totally. of, of how it works. You know, then I think you can start to see some changes. But I don't know. It gets complicated, you know. The U.S. overturned Roe v. Wade, right? I know. I mean, who would have saw that coming, right? Like, that was pretty amazing. You know, I'm not saying a good thing. I'm just like, that was amazing to see. It's like, what? Like, stunning. Stunning to see. One year anniversary, I think, from like a couple days ago. But I remember like listening to a podcast, too, and daily, and they were saying like, well... They were supposed to decrease in abortions, but actually, like, neighboring states actually increased <laughs> in abortions. So it's just like, oh, my God, like, this is and awful. that's what happens when you kind of mix morality with regulating. You yeah. know, then you see that. Just as a – I don't want to get 
too into this, but um, my one friend who, um, I don't really, the American system is very different, different than the Canadian. the Canadian one. So yes. I, I really don't understand the American one very well at all. But when I spoke to a buddy of mine, I asked him because he went to Berkeley Law. So he's a pretty smart guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, congratulations to him. Super, super great guy. And I asked him, I said, how, like, what the hell? Like, how does, how does this even happen? Like, I didn't think you could do that. Like, I just know. overturn something at the Supreme Court level. But yeah. when, when he explained it. Um, it made sense. It, well, not really. It was pretty it was shocking. Loophole, it was pretty shocking. Where I'm like, wow, yeah. I, I can't believe that's how the system operates. You know, it's, it's pretty amazing. So, but again, the point being from this tangent is that's what you're dealing with. Like you, mm -hmm. you're also dealing with instances where there is going to be lapses of judgment. There's going to be these reversals for no good reason, or they're going to implement things for no good reason. It, mm -hmm. It's just kind of the flavor of the day. Yeah. Um, which sucks. Which is, which is pretty, and so subjective. You're very subjective <laughs> and a little bit scary too, right? Yeah. Because then, then just as we said, it, you get a different judge, it goes a different way. And it shouldn't be like that. It know? should be a little more on the objective side. Yeah. I, I do agree. Um, but again, you know, some things are worth fighting for and it's not necessarily fair, but yeah. life isn't fair. So, you know, it's, it's just a bit of a pain in the ass, yeah. you know, and it's just one of those things that you have to... To go through but i think generally the way that you move things forward is is this you know mm -hmm. it's discourse it's just you know talking and um floating ideas out there and having Hopefully. people think for themselves a little bit more and you know kind of coming to their own conclusions but yeah i don't know um let's get in i have a we have a bunch more topics we're doing of good course. for time yeah we're, we're doing yay yes we are doing good okay <laughs> so okay. yeah no rush it's a great conversation um we kind of got near it. We moved away from it. We got near it. We moved away from it. So let's go back to it. Uh, let's talk about this banking thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's the deal with that? Sex Whoa. workers and banks. Sex workers and banks. They don't get along because bankers or bankers. Sorry. Banks. Sorry. <laughs> banks do not want to touch or go near any money that has been made through the means of sex work. So... We'll, we'll start at the beginning. So it can be really, really hard for sex workers to want to open a bank account. Um, even here in Canada, living off the avails <laughs> of sex work uh, when it comes to our prostitution laws is not allowed. Um, talking about big banks, big financial institutions, there's also banking discrimination there as well because um, there's a whole thing that happened two years ago where, was it two years ago? Um, that Visa and MasterCard, which are huge, obviously, huge payment processors, um, they want to pull out of like uh, lots of like uh, adult-related content websites like Pornhub. So, but that is a huge problem because they're a huge partner with that platform. How are people going to pay uh, for membership or whatever for many of these sites. So that poses a huge um, challenge for these companies too because, again, the fans want to get the goods. How do they get the goods? But then this is also against their terms and services. What do we do? And same with, uh, what's another one? Like PayPal. That's also a problematic thing for sex workers to use as well because they can easily shut down your account. Same with banks as well. Um, Another like credit union type places, they can shut your bank account at any time, suspend it, um, seize your funds. You'll never get access to that again. 
So if they suspect that this is coming from sexual services. So it's not great. And then... And to, and to just jump in on that. So mm-hmm. you walk in, I'm a content creator. Mm-hmm. Banks are going to go, mm-mm. They're going to give you the... If they find out... So you got to be kind of tricky about that kind of stuff. But even for something like that, where it's like, I'm just a, I'm a content creator. Yeah. Like I think if it's, if it's just general, like you could be a YouTuber or you could be like a streamer. Well, that's, that's that's loophole. Yeah. It's a loophole. (laughs) (laughs) But, but you can't just be as as straightforward as no, I am an OnlyFans content creator. This is the money that I've made. Yeah. I would not go as far. That would be problematic. Right. That would be problematic. Um, And that just is tied into the fact that prostitution laws govern that type of work. Yeah, That's I mean, where that... in the Canadian context, okay. yes, yes and no. I mean, that really uh, pertains to a lot of, like, <laughs> That's tra- pretty shocking, I have to say. Yeah. That's pretty surprising. Mostly traditional, like, sex work. So in regards to, like, escorting, in regards right. to um, paying, like, paying for sex, that specifically so not so much about like content creation because that's another big umbrella that's right that's right. independent contracting um but say like if you are a client uh we had a session and i was accepting paypal as my form of payment if you write in your note like oh for blah 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 session or something like that can be a red flag because there's certain keywords that paypal would use to flag accounts to deem as this must be adult work um, and have that be the reason to close your account, suspend your account, or seize your funds. So stuff like that. And then also, try not to do tangents and stuff too. Like, no, no, no. This is what this is what we do. <laughs> <laughs> and like another thing related to that. So like certain keywords um, are bars for like red flags. Same with like artificial intelligence now being used to track and scour like escort ads too to see if who is being trafficked. It's the same kind of thing but like do for different purposes that sounds kind of good though um but because trafficking is bad trafficking is bad (laughs) yes trafficking is not good yes trafficking is totally bad yeah terrible (laughs) yes yes for that aspect yes but the question is and this couple things so i was just talking about this with someone earlier today but conflating trafficking with human sex like Conflating human trafficking with consenting sex work yes. happens all the time. And you can see that with okay. Sesta in the States. And how do you differentiate between who a trafficked person and who's actually consenting to this line of work? There's a very big difference of someone who's being forced and exploited um, and also a person that's doing this because they actually want to. With that being said, uh, with AI trying to scour escrow ads, how are they using technology to scour these ads and identify who is a traffic victim? You can't. And I'm working with a couple of people that are doing their master's (laughs) degrees and their thesis on this. And the the research that they have done is that they, they can't tell who is a traffic person, who's not, just based on keywords or things that are used in the ad. Um, It's impossible to do that. So I don't know how that would ever be successful, but there's a lot of companies that are utilizing that nowadays too. So that's another big issue that's we're kind of tackling as well, especially those who are working in that specific corner of the industry. So, but yeah, going back to your question again, just re- relying on algorithmic or uh, keyword type things to be like, this is, this means this, like 
that kind of correlation is is too simplistic. It's too yeah, very oversimplification. Very, very. So it's just like, how do you? This doesn't. This doesn't work. Stop doing that. So, yeah. So banks again at the end of this conversation to wrap that part up is just yeah, it's unfair to sex workers. So okay. So having heard your answer, I do get now why banks do that. Because it's just mm-hmm. the law. Yeah, it's the law. <laughs> so I mean, a ban- yeah, I mean, what's a bank gonna do? They're gonna, they're not gonna go against the the regulating. Yeah, that's not gonna happen. So mm-hmm. okay, I do get that. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Not saying it's right, but that makes sense at least as to okay, that's the financial hurdle for sex workers. Okay, got it. Now it really comes down to now you have to go up to the the legal end in order to have that trickle down effect where yeah, okay, to make that gotcha. allowable. Okay. So, because that's being unfairly financially discriminated against because of the work that we do. So, it's just like simple things. What I think is simple, like having the privilege of having a bank account, um, that should just be afforded to anybody. Should it not? Like, I was going to say, even you saying the privilege of having a bank, I'm like, it's not even a privilege. Yeah, I'm like, is that a privilege? I'm like, geez, in this day and age, right? It should just be. That's just regular. Basic, right? I've. Would think. You think so? I don't know. I mean, yeah, but with stuff like that, it's yeah. just again, like we are not afforded that, mm-hmm. and that's what makes working so difficult. And the question that people ask me are like, "Well, then what's a safe? Where's a safe place to bank, or where can you park your money and stuff too?" And that's why a lot of it's still like cash based. In the mattress, under yeah. the mattress, yeah, <laughs> cut a hole in, in it. In the mattress, yeah. and like some people have said, like Bitcoin, um, like a lot of cryptocurrency, but that's not even so regular yet too like that's not for myself i don't think that's completely normalized yet no 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 it's still like that's also really heavily linked to uh i did a little bit of reading on this Uh, a lot of organized crime and that too relying on crypto huge spike Mm -hmm. in organized crime syndicates using cryptocurrency pretty yeah pretty interesting someone's clever but (laughs) yeah that's (laughs) very interesting reading if anyone wants to look that up you'll have (laughs) you'll have fun um very interesting since we're here, we, I don't have it on the list, but I just kind of wanted to mention it. I, d- I do think we talked about this on the previous podcast mm-hmm. that you were here, but we're here now, so that's okay. Sure. Uh, sugar baby-ing. Mm-hmm. Is that the, yeah. the past tense? Sure, sh- yeah. Verb- verbiage for that? Yep. Uh, and escorting. Yeah. What's the difference? Is there a difference? Uh, What's the myself? difference? For myself? Yeah. <laughs> Personally, I feel like there is a slight difference, but they're basically the same thing. But there's a lot more emotional labor and work and unpaid time ah. that comes from being a sugar baby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now I remember this. That's correct. Yes. Right. There's a lot more emotional labor that comes with that. Um, as a former sugar baby myself, I did a lot of things that I feel like I could have charged for that, could have made more money. Um, doing that, I just feel like with sugar babying and... I, this is me just generalizing as well. It's yes. usually a lot of younger folks. So people that are straight out of high school, uh, early university, have to pay for college, tuition. Um, I want to move out, that kind of deal. Um, that don't, maybe traditionally will not have uh, access to a lot of funds, especially that early. You're not working yet. You're mm-hmm. kind of going to school and figuring things out. So it attracts a lot of like students and younger folks who don't know one that it's sex work or it is work um two don't have any boundaries or have not experienced much life yet right. um as a like adult as an adult so that to me is 
a tricky area. Could lead to potential problems. Lots of problems, right. yeah. A lot of more risk for potential violence, sexual assault, um, being taken advantage of, being exploited. Being forced, uh, being obligated to do things, even though I'm like, I don't really want to do that, but like, oh, well, it's another $500. Like, okay, like maybe I can be tempted or maybe I can just do this one time. Um, where I find it was like escorting um, or like full service sex work, like it is like, these are my rates. This is what we're doing. You're getting out at 11 o'clock on the dot. <laughs> you are done. The, the clock starts the minute you get here. You're, if you're late, sorry, clock is timing down. Like, there's none of this schmoozing. Yeah, this is prorated. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> which I really admire, which I really, really admire. I've learned so much from my escort friends of, like, you know, setting your boundaries and consenting to things and also just setting your rate and knowing your value, knowing your worth. And that also just comes with experience, too, though, so. Just yeah. like anything else? Just like anything else. Uh, Male-female <laughs> ratio on this? Is this something that is really just a, a, a work that's dominated by women? Like, what's the percentage of... Are there male escorts? Like, I mean, I, I'm sure there are. Yeah. But what's the... Is it like 95 to 5? Like, what, what kind of... I don't have ratio. <laughs> What'd you guess? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know I you're not a, a statistic uh, service, but uh. but definitely yes, definitely more. Lots of women for sure, mm -hmm. but lots of trans folks right. as well. That's probably from my for the people that I know specifically. It would go women like biological women, trans folks, especially trans women. Okay. Um. Like, and then maybe more, I don't, I just haven't heard anything about like trans men or I have heard more about quote unquote, like biological men, but have not heard much about trans men and all gender fluid in between have not heard, mm -hmm. um, about what those statistics might be, but judging from my own network of folks, <laughs> A lot of women. Right. A lot of trans women. Reason I ask is basically just from a health and safety perspective. Mm. Different, you know, there's especially the physical element of it where, mm. um, just gonna, we'll go a touch off topic, but I'll explain <laughs> my reasoning, which sure. is when I walk down the street or if you're, you know, an alley or something, not that I ever do that because I'm situational awareness we don't do that type of thing but you know if you find yourself in those situations um i never feel a, a real physical threat because uh, i'm at least somewhat larger in stature and train mma and yeah. you know i'm a guy yeah. generally not as high of a risk um for that type of for a violent thing like that woman walking by herself very different thing yeah you just you think about different things you yeah. know, it'd be no different. Like if I had a daughter or a niece, you know, I'd be like, I'm going to have a little John Wick, Jane Wick, and she'll be <laughs> able to dismember guys with her bare hands. Cause you gotta be, you gotta be on the lookout for that shit. You gotta take care of yourself. Right. But just, you know, if you want to tie that reason I asked that bringing it back is when you think about it from a regulation perspective, um, you want to protect vulnerable people. Mm -hmm. Um, that is a function that's one of the functions of a of a legitimate legal system is that it protects well protects everybody but it also in particular looks out for vulnerable people mm -hmm. and depending on the situation so if we're talking about escorting or sugar babying in, in this instance then 
okay, there's going to be a little bit more women. And then, you know, we, I'm not well versed on the trans issue. So I don't, I don't even really want to try okay. to, I'm doing my best. You're doing you know, your best. I'm That's doing my fine. best. I, I'm not sure verbiage wise or whatever, but, um, just trying to understand that, that yeah, just trying to figure out the regulation aspect of it. And, mm. you know, can we do a better job at protecting who we need to be protected? And then can we do a better job at criminalizing who needs to be criminalized? And then I guess that's really where it comes down to as well. It seems to be that a lot of sex workers are being cast in the should be penalized yeah. uh, circle. Rather yeah. Than, yeah. So, so that's kind of where it comes down to. Yeah. Like earlier in the conversation, we were talking about like decriminalization, legalization, and like the Nordic model, which is present here in Canada, which isn't great. So Nordic model, and I suck at this stuff too, but I'm trying to get better at it. So I'm just going to try to attempt to talk about it. Um, Nordic model criminalizes uh, the purchaser, so the client, um, but does not criminalize um, the person who's selling it. So they think that is protecting the sex worker because like, okay, the sex worker is not being criminalized, but be, but by criminalizing the client and the purchase of sex, that also bars um, or really heavily restricts how we conduct our business. So what I mean by that, we were talking about, and I can't name them all, but the, the marketing of uh, like your ads, for example, that can be a tricky area to try to do that. Uh, living off the avails um, is another thing that is also in prostitution laws. Same with um, uh, operating a body house, which is like a brothel. That's another thing too, where you conduct your business. You can't be in a proximity of like a school or something like that. So there's specific things that are in place, but because you're basically criminalizing the client, that's, that, that scares people because yeah like, that would that, drive that, an underground yeah, it yeah. Would, exactly it's exactly what exactly. that would do yeah of course it would and that's exactly <laughs> why are you gonna do it out in the open you're gonna get you're gonna charge for that We're exactly not have that. So, yeah. so clients don't want to participate in this so right. that is why it, as you exactly mentioned it's pushing that work underground which makes um sex workers more at risk for violence um assault um lots of unsavory things that can happen there. So that's why we're wanting to get rid of the Nordic model. Um, and I think I really mentioned earlier too, legalization is like, yes, there's going to be some regulations on how you conduct a business. And then decrim is like, we'll have full agency of how we want to do this because our work will be in line with all the other jobs in the world too. So that's kind of like what we would hope for and what we would fight for. So really quick spark notes on that. Yeah, very good. <laughs> couple of things that we'll get into because mm -hmm. then we'll I think we'll kind of finish with this we're, we're still okay for time but cool. we'll, we'll wrap it up very nicely um <laughs> we talked about pornography there's one thing that I want to go back to um about that mm -hmm. we, we we kind of brushed on it but maybe I think it's important to talk about so sure. kind of highlight it a little more uh media literacy oh yeah when yeah, it comes yeah, to yeah. pornography so uh what does that mean yeah, knowing the difference between right and wrong, what's real, what's not, what's fake, what's fantasy. Like, that is, to me, really, really loose terms of, like, you are literate enough to know what's being put out there in TV, in you, on YouTube, on your TikTok and stuff to know, like, okay, this is reality and this is actually fake or actually now, like, AI generated. Yeah. <laughs> That's another thing, too. But, Getting closer to Westworld every day. Right? 
just another day of like, is this AI generated or not? Like, <laughs> and it's getting hard. Um, but yeah, media, media literacy is so important uh, in for anyone, adults, because I know some people, folks that just can't uh, differentiate between what's real and what's not. But also just really important to have this being taught in the schools and also to children too, because unfortunately... And I don't know if we're going this way with your topic, but like a lot of kids are accessing porn at like an earlier age and that's just a thing. It's just, it's, it's everywhere. You it's mean the way that it's always been sneaking, yeah. sneaking into your dad's room and finding a Playboy <laughs> magazine. I mean, no, but I mean, that's what it was. That's what it was before. Now it's just different. Now you're it's on so Brazzers. Different. Yeah. Okay. It's a very different thing. Very different. Playboy's got to make a comeback. Right? <laughs> rooting for Playboy to come I got to get my Playboy subscription in. That's, that's what we got to do. Yeah. So yeah, it's a little bit different nowadays because yeah. everyone has an internet connection. There's no dial-up anymore either. And it's just the world The nature of it. Yeah. 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 So that's coming into a lot of kids' hands. And I'm, I'm not a fear-mongering person, but I, I'm, I'm of the mind that, you know, you should be a certain age and understand like what bodies are and like what sex actually is, um, what consequences come with that, what sex is used for, pleasure, for making babies or whatever it is that you want. Connection. <laughs> Connection. <laughs> Maybe because you love someone or like yeah. someone, right? You know? Totally. Stuff it's a like very that. big spectrum, it's you know, just for the hell spectrum. of it. We got all, <laughs> it's a very big <laughs> spectrum. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But it's complex. You know, human sexuality is extremely complex. And I've been, what I've been thinking about leading up to this podcast too, is like, when you think about the thousands of years of human evolution and pornography has existed in like the last 30, mm-hmm. like, wow, you know, That's like crazy. our brains That's wild. are nowhere near caught up. Uh, not like, I mean, that ship sailed a long time ago as far as evolution goes. Totally. Um, just cause evolution takes a long time, long time. Um, biologically speaking, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it, but when you think about it culturally, um, just the accessibility and it's a little bit more mainstream and yeah, it, it really is. It really is something book recommendation for anyone who wants to know. Um, great name of this book, ethical porn for dicks. <laughs> I'm trying to get the author on this podcast. Ooh, He's a really yeah. cool guy. I'm, I'm trying to get him on, um, I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but Dr. David Lay okay. or Lee, L-E-Y. I'm not sure. I'm so bad with names. Could but be either or. <laughs> I'll ask him. When <laughs> I get him on, I'll ask there. him. How do I say your name? <laughs> um, fantastic book. Cool. It really gives you a good understanding of um, just kind of pornography, and it's, it's, it's very well done. I will highly recommend it to, to cool. anybody, not just you know, the title kind of gives it away for, for men, but <laughs> for anybody trying That's to understand cool. it, especially if you're a parent too, Yeah. you know, I mean, it, even if you don't have a, 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 a you know, a, a son, you know, if you got a daughter too, that's important to, totally. you know, Hey, like it's a thing, like this is just part of our, our culture. Like we mm-hmm. need to talk about it and educate ourselves about it and just, yeah, try and figure it out. But mm-hmm. yeah, understanding, I think generally that it's a, um, it's entertainment. It's, yeah. it's a product. It's an entertainment product. It's no different than a Marvel movie. It's the yeah. same. It's literally the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, gets a little bit different when you talk about like independent creators, mm-hmm. you know, that's, I guess, a slightly different thing. But it's still a fantasy though too. But you're still selling a fantasy, you know, it's, it's still, um, a persona. Yeah. Right. Um, just because you have a persona doesn't mean it's all fake. There's obviously, just as you said, you have fans who like you for 
certain elements of your personality or your look or whatever, that's real. Yeah. But it there still is a persona. There still is something that you are doing. Yeah. Um, totally. But yeah, just important to just important to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about stripping. Yeah. <laughs> or pole, actually pole dancing. Well, well, yeah. well both. We'll, we'll get both. into both. Both. Yeah. We'll kind of we'll we'll finish with this topic, but. Um, you recently were judging a pole dancing competition in Tur- mm-hmm. Tirana. Tirana. Very cool. <laughs> uh, so yeah, let, let, let's work backwards. We'll talk about the most yeah. recent and go. Yeah, yeah, script down is what it was called. Um, and it was awesome. It was a pole dancing competition that was run and run and operated by and for strippers, actually. So a lot of those people were strippers. Um, a lot of those folks were also, like, professional, like, pole dancers, like, pole hobbyists as well. So it was really cool to have uh, an event that was, like, marketed towards strippers because um, at other, like, mainstream pole dancing competitions, uh, there are some problems with that, too, because, like, for example, like, uh, we have, like, quote-unquote, like, the exotic category, which is where you would dance in heels, typically. And uh, having judges that were not even strippers there and trying to judge on technique and stuff is just very strange. So that's why this person, a friend of mine, Onyx, actually started Script Down to have a more inclusive event. And it was awesome. It was so much fun. It was amazing just incredible talent uh the energy was great they had this cool like music venue and the hosts and mcs were like a comedian and we had a drag queen so you just already know the energy level was there plus yeah all the talented people that were on stage that i got to judge was an incredible like just an incredible honor to have been moved because i used to compete as well but i was like um Honest asked me to judge this one, so like maybe I'll just move my way into the judging for it. So, so that was a lot of fun and and then really great. And I cannot wait for year number two next year. Hopefully, I'll compete too, but we'll see. We'll see. Double whammy would be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, would that'd be cool. Be cool. <laughs> so let, we brought up something when we were setting up the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, cultural appropriating stripper culture. Yeah. Yeah. I never even considered or thought about that until you said it. I'm like, damn, that sounds good. So I'm going to write that down. (laughs) Yeah. Um, What is that? Yeah. What is it? Yeah. Yeah. So, and maybe because you don't know this because you're not a pole dancer. Maybe you will try one of the days. I'll take one of my classes. I did actually (laughs) almost join the, okay, well, okay. I almost joined. I had ulterior motives for wanting to join (laughs) the pole dancing uh, club at my university. (laughs) Totally <laughs> ulterior motives. I love how you had a club. That's but it's amazing. pretty strong. I mean, you got to be my favorite. Sorry, just quick since <laughs> since we opened this one. My one of my favorite um, TV clips ever is from uh, the TV show From Dusk Till Dawn, which okay. is uh, what is that? It's a vampire show. Okay. It's based based off of uh, one of Tarantino's movies. <gasps> oh, fun! Of the same name. Yeah. And so it's a, a strip bar. And they all turn into vampires and everybody gets killed. It's a great Tarantino <laughs> movie. It's fantastic. George Clooney's in it. It's really good. Now I gotta watch that tonight. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> like, re- it's really fun. Sel- it's the Selma Hayek foot scene. Oh, that's the one from Dustle Dog. Okay, that's I know it. exactly. Where I know that scene. Tarantino is a He's gangster. A huge <laughs> and a huge foot fetishist as well. We love it. We love it. <laughs> Yeah, he he wrote that into the movie. I know for his own and then starred in it. Yeah, I know he does what a lot. What a guy, a gangster movie. I love it. Guys, guys, my hero. 
Um, Going back to cultural appropriation. Yeah, and so my, but when you realize like the strength that it takes, Mm -hmm. and there's like this wicked scene in the credits of Dusk Till Dawn where I don't even know, it's like the uh, human flag. Yeah. Like that calisthenics move. Yeah. And she's doing that while walking around the pole. Oh, And then she's doing it in a bikini. Yeah. Or not a bikini, but a little lingerie. Lots of core. So I got very excited. I had the fitness aspect covered. And then we had the hot girl part covered. So I was, I was very excited all over the place. So Again, you'll have to take one of my classes. I would like to see you do some shit. I'll I would actually, ask- you know what? We'll talk. We'll talk. We'll talk. I'll show up, <laughs> test out my calisthenics. So yeah, so quick aside. But yes. um, yeah, what, what does that actually mean? Like cult- cultural, is it culturally, cultural appropriating, culturally appropriating? I think either or. We'll cultural appropriation I got to do some culture. Google searches. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We'll leave it in. I don't mind sounding like an idiot. <laughs> yeah. So what does what that, that what does that mean? Like what do we what are we talking are about? Perfect? And like why is that even a, a concern for you? You know, yeah. why is that even a, a concern? Well, yeah. as a stripper, as a sex worker, um, I strip because it's it's one of my jobs. I do it for money and it's fun and like the performance aspect, yes, but at the end of the day it's a job. I get money, get paid for it. Um, culturally appropriating strip culture is because there's a lot of you know, pole hobbyists, pole dancers who have no experience or have never stepped foot in a strip club or have, have not done any sex work at all. Um, you know, dressing up the part and pretending, you know, we're going to make it rain in the, in like the studio and <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, it can be kind of harmless. Like it, it bugs me a little bit because I'm like, well, like the, first of all, it's fake money. Who likes fake money? Uh, I like real money, first of all. Um, don't even bother with the fake money. Don't even bother with the don't fake money. Don't even bother. You're just upsetting me. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> real but or get like out of here. <laughs> putting this facade up, um, again, that, you know, stripping is easy. Um, it's just like a fun thing that you could just emanate and try to be in mimic. Um, when there's actually a lot of hard work that goes into it, but also not paying homage to its roots and its stripper like history. So knowing that strip culture and stripping as an industry uh, was built upon the bodies of black and brown people, um, exoticized and fetishized back in the day, doing that for money. So um, a lot of post, and I don't want to say a lot, but some pole studios, unfortunately, um, will not admit that part of history. And I think it's really important to educate folks on like okay this is a especially if you are teaching that kind of dance like as I do I'm a pole dance instructor as well and I still begin to be like hey like you could come find me doing these moves at the club these are real moves from the club from from the strip like as from a stripper um not just something that you think uh mimics a type of movement it's all of mimicry so that's why a lot of people are up in arms about that topic because it causes a divide between pole dancers and strippers uh, or even just like, yeah, pole dancers and like sex workers and stuff. So that's why it's problematic because it's a lot of like playing dress up and not wearing or holding or carrying that stigma that comes with being a sex worker. And that is the problematic part. It's just that, like you just think it's fun and it's dress up as Halloween. Um, but there's a lot of stigma and stuff that we have to go through, like, you know, dealing with people pushing your boundaries, people trying to touch you when you're on stage. I'm getting, I'm doing this great show and I just got tipped $5, like, <laughs> and going home with a total of $35, like, and, and doing this naked. Like, it's very vulnerable. So 
that's why there is a bit of pushback coming back from strippers that, who are wanting to say something that like this is all fun and games for you but this is actually the people's livelihoods and you know if you are gonna mimic you know making it rain in, in your studio why don't you actually take real money and go to a strip club as a field trip with your whole class and your students and actually tip real dollars to the people that are working super hard on stage so rant over <laughs> I like it it makes sense so hopefully <clears throat> it does I think that's probably a good... I think you buttoned it up nicely. Yeah. We covered everything. Yeah, we did. We actually did. Oh my I think God. that's one of the only... This is no like a way. handful of times in this podcast <laughs> where like we actually covered all the, all the topics. Yeah. But, oh my God, um, that's awesome. Before I sign off, um, any closing remarks from you? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if you want to get in touch with me, there's a number of ways you can get in touch with me. It, you can find me on Twitter, X is what people like to call it nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> I roll to that. It's stripped by P, uh, stripped by Sia on X or Twitter. Stripped by Sia podcast on Instagram. Uh, I have a Patreon as well. Patreon.com slash stripped by Sia if you want to put those dollars to good use. Um, and I don't know when this is airing, but you can find me on random stages in Vancouver as a dancer. And if you are a person that's wanting some wonderful virtual one-on-one -on -one time, you can also find me on Streamate under Sia on camera. So that's me. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much for coming on here again. And, um, you know, I really like doing these podcasts. They're, they're, I, I really do enjoy it. You get to talk to so many different people um, and learn from them. And I think I, the... the I don't know. I'm kind of at a point in my life where um, I think I'm appreciating a little bit more um, slowing down a touch. Mm -hmm. um, when you have an emotional response to something, kind of like pay attention to it. Don't just lean into it or lean away from it. You know, if you, f if you have that knee-jerk reaction to a particular topic or a particular thing, um, maybe notice that. Mm -hmm. And then take a moment to pause and try and figure out what's going on. And that kind of general attitude I take to all of these podcasts. And that's why I like to have different people who do different things come on. Because um, just as we've been talking about, you know, the whole point of this podcast, talking about sex work and largely how it's stigmatized. And then we get into the specifics of that. Specifics of that um, but I think it's important to address. Uh, again, it's not something that's going away. And I think it's something that should be understood and looked at with care and compassion, just like anything else. Um, building empathy requires that everybody comes together. Yeah. And the way that you drive values forward is by open and honest communication, in particular with people who you don't necessarily agree with. Mm -hmm. That's the magic. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's just treat people like people. Treat them with love and respect and kindness. And just, you know, it's okay. It's okay. We're just talking. We're just learning, you know. Yeah. And I think just kind of have a maybe a little bit more of a laissez-faire attitude about it. And just kind of build empathy and try to understand where, where we're all coming from. Because, uh, yeah. again, you know, um, well, we talked a lot about the legal system, but... The legal system, what, what, whatever your opinions are of it, it's made, it's comprised of people. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. okay, you know, let's maybe try and build relationships and um, listen to each other and 
hopefully that leads to, you know, positive changes and and progress moving forward. So that's the idea. And that's why we do these. That's why I do these. That's why I like being here. (laughs) Anyway. Treat humans like humans. That's it. So with my rant over now, (laughs) (laughs) thank you again, Steph, for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much.